0: Broadcasting from 10 Hudson Square Building, home of WNYC Radio in Soho, New York, welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose driven companies. My guest today is David Cult, founder and CEO of Reverb, a fast growing online marketplace for musical instruments that has been used by major artists like Maroon 5, Green Day, and Moby to get gear into the hands of fans. And Reverb gives back by donating to music education programs nationwide. Prior to launching Reverb, David co-founded and served as CEO for Options Express, an online investing brokerage. However, eager to follow his true passion of music, he left the company to pursue Reverb. He started this by first becoming CEO of the Chicago Music Exchange, an iconic music retail store in the north side of Chicago, And recognizing that few musical instrument dealers were providing high-quality alternative to brick-and-mortar stores, David decided to start his own in 2013. He capitalized on his background in computer science to create Reverb.com with the hopes of making the buying and selling of instruments safe, easy, and affordable. The reason why I'm having David on my show today is because just last year, he furthered his belief that music makes the world a better place by founding something called Reverb Gives a charitable program that donates a portion of every sale to providing students and teachers in youth music education programs with the instruments they need. Since its inception, Reverb Gives has donated more than a quarter million dollars worth of instruments to helping aspiring musicians launch their own careers. And this year, Reverb was recognized by Fast Company as one of the top companies making a profound impact on the music industry. David Colt, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Excited to be here. You're one of the guests that I've been really looking forward to have on the show. So tell us a little bit about the founding. So you went from, on paper, financial services, computer science guy. Clearly you had a love for music in your heart and maybe growing up. And you're able to combine your super skills to really kind of pursue your own passion and obviously impact others. Talk a little bit about the founding of Reverb.
1: I grew up in the 70s, so you know I was listening to... All that classic rock from Led Zeppelin to Bob Marley, the police, the blues, like Buddy Guy and the Clash. And I just fell in love with guitars. So guitars has been with me my my teens. I wasn't dedicated to going the band route. So right out of college with a political science degree from the University of Michigan, I decided I was going to be a recording engineer. I really, really wanted to produce records. And this is the early 90s. I spent a good two, three years working in the recording studios trying to uh, perfect that trade. I realized after a couple of years that I wasn't going to be a great engineer, a recording engineer. I, wasn't, I probably wasn't up for the lifestyle associated with uh, being in music production. And I pivoted to software and I started my first software company in the, in the 90s in the travel business. And ultimately after selling that business, I ended up developing an online brokerage firm called Options Express which we took public and later sold to Charles Schwab. I built Options Express truly out of a passion and a frustration that I wanted to build a better product than the other online brokerage platforms for trading options. And ironically, the Reverb product ultimately came from a a similar frustration. After leaving Options Express, I wanted to get back into music. This is 2009, 2010. Being an avid guitar player, loved collecting guitars, I bought an iconic music store called the Chicago Music Exchange on the north side of Chicago. And I really just dove in headfirst and learned the business, learned the art of buying and selling guitars, learned all the authenticity and aspects of authenticating guitars and drums and and all the, the, the cool aspects of musical instruments. During that point of 2010, running a retail guitar shop, I started to experience the pain of buying and selling gear online, whether it be eBay, Craigslist, or even building your own website. I realized that there was an opportunity to build something very special for the community where people really obsess over over gear, whether it's effects pedals, amps, guitars, drum kits, keyboards, saxophones, trumpets. All musicians, what they have in common is they're searching for that t- that sound, that tone that's going to give their voice that special sound. So that's the genesis of Reverb.
0: When you started Reverb, what was your biggest fear? I know that personally you had a passion for guitars, but how did you actually learn the business? I imagine that when you bought that retail store, there's some people that you could learn from. How hard was that? I mean, you went from travel to fintech, right? Travel to finance. And the common denominator there is you're trying to meet an unmet but addressable need in each of those marketplaces using data and science and computer science, right? I imagine you're doing the same, but instead of just going after something that you're passionate about, you also have to learn the business. How hard is that? And how did you do that? How did you immerse yourself in that world?
1: Prior to owning Chicago Music Exchange, I had spent the prior almost 20 years of my life in tech, building software, consumer-facing software, my travel software client base, and Options Express. So very comfortable with solving problems, very comfortable with building scalable businesses, hundreds of employees in in, in both those companies. So the idea of owning a retail store sounded like, ah, this would be a walk in the park. And the irony is retail is hard, really hard. I was actually up for the challenge. I love customers. I love interacting with people and customers. I love providing a great experience. Like, in all my software years, experience was everything. UX is everything, customer service is everything. So when I bought the store, I was like, how can I cr- provide a great experience? Now, the, the gentleman I bought the store from had created an amazing visual experience, chandeliers, couches, more vintage guitars than anyone in their right mind would have in, in one location. So the premise of what I had acquired was really, really special. What it was lacking was in, in the finishing touches in terms of, affordability in terms of having great service to back up great instruments. And that's what I started working on. I really sort of brought that UX experience that I had in the software world. I brought it to the retail experience. Now, the irony of that is, as I, built, as I started to build Chicago Music Exchange, to give you a little sense, I bought it for like seven or eight million bucks, and it had $7 million of inventory. And it was doing $3 million in sales. It was a beautiful art gallery that really wasn't focused on selling much. Today, Chicago Music Exchange does $50 million out of one location. So we transformed it from gallery to a place where people could go for and buy affordable instruments at all price ranges. And people could try and explore and, and remove that intimidation associated with the retail store. Now, ironically, after doing that for a couple of years at Chicago Music Exchange, I'm like, I think I could do this in a much larger scale in a marketplace community. Bring that trust, that great experience, that common UX that I was building in the store with only good buyers and sellers, and removing all the bad players that make that bring risk to dealing with a marketplace. So the genesis is kind of ironic. I spent most of my career in developing software and dealing with customers in a sort of virtual online capacity, I buy a physical store, extract value out of that, learn from that process, and then go back and bring that to an online world, which is kind of where I'm most comfortable. I now have a partner who runs the Chicago Music Exchange for for me full time so that I can focus on on reverb.
0: And it sounds like your original intent was you would have been very happy to turn around the physical store and make that much better, which you did. And then you realized that you can take some of that Magic and transfer it to an online marketplace? Because the original intent wasn't to go online, right? It just came about. Or was it always going to be there because it's in your blood?
1: The real, real story is I bought the domainreverb.com wanting to build an e commerce platform for musicians. I realized I couldn't become a dealer, an online only dealer, and I had to go buy a store. So that, so that forced me to buying the store. Once I bought the store, I realized I had bought the store that I, where I had bought my guitars, how iconic it was i really should let that be chicago music exchange not let it not try to turn it into something else so i literally i forgot about reverb i forgot about like my vision for an e-commerce platform and through that then i was able to say better than an e-commerce platform reverb trying to compete with guitar center and musicians Friend. a marketplace is a much more inclusive opportunity to bring lots of musicians together and allow musicians actually to compete or to be on a level playing field with dealers. That was one of the big tenets why I went with Reverb uh, versus a traditional dealer. As I said, the dealers are in there to make money and to provide a livelihood. But musicians, in the end, the reason why Reverb really exists is I really was focused on pricing transparency and more affordability, giving musicians edge so that they could actually get more money for their instruments and then have more money to buy their future instruments. So that was really sort of the turning point. So dealers weren't like thrilled with Reverb at first. They weren't sure if it was going to be a friend or a foe. Ultimately, we've got it so that it's a marketplace that's, that includes hundreds of thousands of, of individuals alongside thousands of dealers. And they actually coexist in a very good ecosystem.
0: And how important was it to get well-known artists to stand behind Reverb? Well, two questions. One is how important and two, how hard was that?
1: You no, know, it wasn't the original focus. The original focus wasn't to do artist shops and to sort of uh, bring the artists on. We knew that if we got if we if we were able to attract great inventory, great unique used inventory, vintage inventory, inventory that you couldn't experience in a traditional you, you know large big box chain, that we would get lots of eyeballs and we would have lots of celebrity or rock stars behind it. We also spent a lot of the effort on the content side. So by developing great content that was very authentic, not content geared towards selling you content that was really musician inspired, we were able to have legitimacy. And, you know, I mean, in, in essence, the we're the David and Goliath, the Goliath being eBay, eBay trying to be all things, to all people, not a whole lot of authenticity to musicians, Reverb really focused on being authentic and relevant to musicians. Once that was evident that Reverb was legit, artists started coming more discreetly. We would discover that a seller had just sold their mixing console to Pete Townsend. And we were like, holy crap, or Jeff Tweedy from Wilco or... Beyonce's guitar. So before before we started actually reaching out to these artists, we started to see them underneath the current buying and selling on our platform. And then it became obvious to us by being authentic and not seeking out artists, we naturally them and they were actually forthcoming like Green Day and others to want to be part of Reverb and actually publicly sell their gear to other musicians because they really felt that we were legitimate destination
0: yeah it's a very organic way of going about it exactly what brought you into the world of music and how do you feel music can be a force for change everyone has their story
1: of how your early development years how music had inspired you to some passion to me it was rock music and the blues and a little bit of reggae and you know the bob marley quote when it hits you feel no pain like when that real, like the, the type of music that really resonated with me is, is, is just real authentic passion. Like when, when, when you can hear it in someone's playing or their, or their vocals and you can feel that intensity, it moves you. I'm easily movable, I guess. But I got moved by music at an early age and I never had the chops to be a great musician both in terms of pitch and in terms of rhythm i tried i've struggled i still struggle but i definitely feel that music can move people and and inspire people to do great things and the music that i listen to every day has a huge impact on how i inspire my team how i come to work every day with with attitude of we can get it done we can we can rise to a higher occasion and I brought that to all of my businesses, even my non-music businesses. We had very jazz improvisational style at Options Express that we celebrated. And, and bringing music into business, I think, is an incredible way to connect with people and a way to inspire people to feel connected with their business.
0: When you started Reverb, I know that obviously you have a lot of passion for music. Did you think at some point you would purpose into that? I mean, there's a greater purpose in that you're creating a marketplace and a a level of transparency and authenticity that hadn't existed before, right? So there's like a commercial and even a greater purpose there. But in terms of the give back and what you launched last year in terms of Reverb Gives, talk a little bit about that because I'm going to guess that you always had that in the back of your mind, but you just wanted to get the business right first before you then kind of dove deeper.
1: Exactly. I mean, it didn't take us long to sort of get to our musical purpose in this marketplace business and making the world more musical is is a theme that we've incorporated into Reverb early on. And we tried to do that in the marketplace. I mean, we tried to do that once again by creating this level playing field, giving musicians great opportunity to basically have access to great gear and hopefully that gear translates to them making great music, which would then inspire other people. So we were kind of like a, a derivative or once removed from making the world more musical, we were sort of the, the supplier of the of the pickaxes, so to speak. It wasn't until spending more time in the industry, realizing how many great programs that were out there and how many great influencers, people out there trying to bring music to young people that we realized we could actually plug into that. One thing I know in business is that if you're not gonna do something great and you can't excel at it, don't do it at all. So one thing I know that we couldn't do is Reverb couldn't launch our own little academies and after school programs because we were so focused on our marketplace. It wasn't until we realized that we have this incredible marketplace of instruments and all these people who care about music that we could figure out how to incorporate a way to use Reverb to give back to these programs. So one of the things that was really important is that we really wanted to focus on established programs. We really needed to find a way to bridge the gap between people that were doing great things and they needed instruments to actually fuel those programs. So when we connected the dots, it made so much sense. Up until then, we were kind of like just supporting various charities with with money and writing checks and it was, it didn't feel as holistic as what we ultimately got to, which is Reverb Gives, which allows our programs to basically use Reverb to find the gear and sell the gear. These programs get a lot of things donated to them. They're actually using Reverb to generate cash, to reuse that to buy the instruments that they need for their kids.
0: Yeah, and it's tough because I feel like a lot of these music programs are the first things to get cut, especially in public schools, right? Yep. And what's the ultimate goal? I know you've given away, actually, I'm probably dated even in this number, but probably more than a quarter million dollars in, in instruments. That probably doesn't even take into account, like you said before, the cash generated from reselling those instruments on in your marketplace, right, by those programs. What's the ultimate goal for Reverb Gives? Like, what's the vision? What, what do you ultimately want to do in terms of a, a metric or KPI?
1: You want to strengthen the program to have incredible impact in reaching, reaching as many disadvantaged kids as possible. We know, I've studied this over and over again with NAM, the National Association for Music Merchants, as well as various programs, that there is a high correlation for disadvantaged kids that get music in their life that end up going to college and having a quality outcome because they had music by their side while they were dealing with uh, difficult situations. So we believe there's a lot of opportunity to kind of expand upon that and make sure that we're supporting programs that have that as their mission and are, are very focused on, on reaching the people most in need. We're at the early, early stages of being able to measure that and quantify that. So some of the investments that we're making in programs may not pan out to be as impactful as we thought. So we're in year two. We've donated a little over 300000 We have plans to donate a percentage of our revenue every year to kind of keep this, this program growing and not just finding new programs, but supporting the existing programs that are thriving and and giving them more strength. We also want to do this globally. So we've started, uh, we've expanded into Europe. Now we'll be expanding into, you know, central and, and South America as well in 2020 and 2021. So there's just great opportunity to reach a lot of people, And we also recognize that when we're supporting these programs, that we're introducing people to reverb and it's not so much in a self-serving way. It's actually in a way because we really believe in our platform is a, is a resource, not just for getting gear, but it's like, it's sustainability. 80% of the sales on reverb used instruments. We're reusing instruments. We're actually changing hands globally now of gear from all walks of life and the sort of diversity of all the music that we do, we really believe that we can create this community of musicians that are basically buying and selling from each other. And the sustainability aspect of that, as well as just the affordability aspect of that is also really important to us in terms of keeping the world more musical.
0: If you think about it, you think about this all the time, but just hearing you speak, it's like every time you pick up an instrument, especially one that's changed hands over time, There's a story behind it, a unique story behind it. And that instrument might have actually helped someone avoid taking a wrong turn in life. It might have provided inspiration where there was none, and now there is. It could have just been a simple respite. It could have rewired their brain to be eventually a a brilliant computer scientist or mathematician. Who knows, right? There's just so much there, the untold stories, that makes it really quite beautiful. My, my mom said to me when I quit violin at thirteen, she said, "You're going to regret this," and uh, <laughs> I I regret it. But the problem is, not, this is not just about me. It's not a therapy session. But I was introduced <laughs> to the violin when I was uh, five. And I, do you remember the Suzuki method? I don't know, it, it, was basi- uh-huh. it was basically don't read music, just memorize. And there is obviously some good kind of brain exercises for memorization and and whatnot. And I think that when you're told to do something versus wanting to do something, it just has a very different outcome. And while I think I excelled at violin, it felt like a chore. And I can still hear that metronome, you know. And I do regret not picking it back up again. And actually, maybe I will now. And I did learn how to read music eventually. But it was something, because I wasn't like a sporty kid at that that time in my life, it was something that I could excel in and I I could feel very good about. And it is a regret of mine. I just thought I'd share that with you just because uh, I'm not sure I've shared that with anybody except for maybe a therapist over the years. (laughs) Music is very powerful.
1: Maybe we'll get you picking something back
0: up. I think so. I think so. So when was that moment? Do you remember the first time you picked up a guitar and not just picked it up, but actually learned to play it? I imagine you remember that like it was yesterday, right?
1: I do. And it wasn't, unfortunately, aside from the recorder, it wasn't in my household it was in my cousin's household. Big drummer and had several guitars. He had a band. He was much older than me. I would when I would go over to their house, I would just spend hours and hours in their basement rummaging through all their instruments and just dreaming that one day I, I could actually have that. And that kind of got me on the journey to hanging out at the at the music stores. I'm from the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, hanging out at the music stores at a very early age, just kind of like going in the practice rooms trying to to imagine myself with, with one of those fine instruments. And then eventually getting my, my first instrument was a hand-me-down from my cousin. And then I remember getting my first vintage instrument in the, in the early 80s, buying a 70s Stratocaster. And I held that for you know, 20 years until I was able to pawn that for you know, something much better.
0: I read somewhere that average number of instruments an employee at Reverb plays is greater than five. Is that right?
1: Sounds about right. Yeah. We've got an incredibly musical team here. Very inspiring.
0: There's probably music in the office playing, right? And I imagine, is there tension? Is there like, oh, I want to play this, I want to play that? Or is there playlist competitions? Or like, how does that happen? I I can't imagine that if I walked into your office tomorrow, it's just dead silent. There's no way.
1: Well, you about 200 people here are engineers and they've had their headphones on and they're writing code. So it's not super noisy down there. Upstairs, our customer service, we're on chat, phone and voicemail. So what there is, is there are instruments dangling on people's desks everywhere you look and cool different instruments. So there's such it's such a conversation piece to walk through the office. People are constantly like, ooh, what's that? Or something that someone just bought on reverb or they're trying to sell it. So there's, there's, there's a lot of conversation around it. And then where the music comes in is we do have a jam room and we do have, you know, opportunities to play together next week, actually, June 21st, it is make music day. It's a global opportunity starting in France, but now it's, it's really turned into a global thing where we're going to take half the afternoon off. There's probably a hundred of us are going to go to the, Lincoln Park Zoo, just a mile from our office in the north side of Chicago, and we're going to just do sing-alongs and play together as a group. And this will be happening globally on June 21st, where people are are encouraged to get away from their everyday routines and go make some music.
0: That reminds me to ask you about the uh, Girls Rock Reverb Gives auction. So that was in May, right? Yeah, yeah. And you had some pretty amazing participants in that, including my 15-year-old daughter's favorite, Billie Eilish. I can hear Billie Eilish in our house constantly until my daughter goes to camp in a few weeks.
1: (laughs) We were so honored to be able to one support the girls rock organizations, which is a global organization of different programs throughout the world. And then to connect the dots with all these great artists from Billy to Stevie Nicks and the list goes on donating microphones and effects pedals and various instruments, and then being able to auction them off and raise $40,000 Forty to $50,000 to go right back to those Girls Rock programs. And that's not even part of our reverb gives. We have artists, now we have artists that are coming on reverb and they're asking us how to basically find ways to support various causes that we're already involved in. So there's this kind of like reverb effect or feedback loop that's happening. As we now are vetting these programs, we now can actually help artists turn their gear into support of these various programs, which is really cool.
0: So if you were to pick one walk-on song for yourself, what would it be?
1: It's Tom Petty. I won't back down. So cliche, but Tom Petty is, means an incredible, a lot to me. I listen to him daily for inspiration and he's just an amazing songwriter that incorporates so much about just America and hope and opportunity. And I use his lyrics every day and I, I, I love to strum his songs too.
0: I'll take it. You know, I always say it's not, if it's real, it's not cliche, right? So, <laughs> so I wouldn't worry <laughs> about that. Mine would be Immigrant Song by uh, Led Zeppelin. And actually, Led draw, Zeppelin? yeah. Get,
1: get the lead out. Now we're talking. It just
0: gets you going, you know, and it gets everybody going. There's no better, well, there's, there's a lot of great, you know, beginnings of songs, but that one, everybody, it's almost it immediately in. recognizable.
1: I love it in a uh, school of rock. You Remember the movie with Chuck
0: Black? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what I didn't realize is that they wrote that following a tour in Iceland, hence coming from the land of fire and ice. I did not realize that until recently. <laughs> I had no idea. Cool. I like hearing the stories behind the songs as well. Just because you're not new to the music industry, but you're new to it from a business standpoint. Do you personally find it hard to separate the art from the artist? So, you know, when something goes wrong in in an artist's life, but the music is amazing, do you think it is hard to separate the two? You know, people be like, I'm never going to listen to Michael Jackson again, stuff like that. Just out of curiosity, because it's an ongoing debate that I have with a lot of my friends. And I think it's going to continue for as long as humans continue and artists continue to perform.
1: You're not alone in having that debate. I had that debate. Two nights ago with a really close friend about that exact topic, Michael Jackson, he was giving the argument that he can separate the music because he, I didn't watch the full Neverland story, but he said he could separate the music depending on the era relative to what you say in in the Michael Jackson story.
0: So Jackson 5 is okay.
1: Yeah. That's just one example of, of how our minds work, how we want to justify something or, Remember, I mean, if music has historical relevance to you in your mind, it brings back memories. When I first heard this, or the, or you're associating that sound, that song with a time in your life, it's really hard to eradicate that, even with negative news or very disappointing news about an artist's lifestyle or how they live their life, because that memory is is unique to you. It's a unique experience that's connecting the dots. It's that this, that musical sound is combined with some other elements in your life, totally independent of that artist, how they lived, what they did. So I believe that the music lives on and the music can be fairly independent of the choices of what some of what these artists have done or Or do, but we're living in a new era of awareness and of transparency about how people live their lives and people making judgments about how people are living their lives and good, bad, indifferent. It is definitely influencing how people consume music in ways that I think is good. I think you know, having a high standard, we should have good standards for musicians. We shouldn't put let musicians live lives that aren't to the same moral and ethical standards that everyone else has. And I think you can have, there are great musicians that live morally and ethically. So I'm a believer in that. But when you talk about the past, I think it's really hard to separate the impact on music relative to something that an artist may have done independent of that.
0: Artists on the other side of it have a long history of becoming or are activists as well. And, you know, we can choose whether or not we want to align ourselves with them or not. But, you know, what you say about a song sparking a memory is so interesting because I can't think of anything, not even article of clothing, because we don't always keep our clothing forever. Some people do, I suppose. There's really nothing else in life that has that level of muscle memory or permanence and emotional connectivity than a song or, uh, or music, Right throughout your entire life. You can go, Oh my gosh, that was, uh, you know, when I was in eighth grade or I was at that swim meet or that was my prom or that was high school. There's music associated with each stage of, of your life, especially your early years. And you're right. You cannot erase that as much as, as hard as you try. There's always going to be that emotional trigger. That's so interesting. I Had never even thought of it quite like that before.
1: The other thing is, once I after buying Chicago Music Exchange and Reverb and getting to meet so many artists, and I've met I've met some of my my biggest idols in terms of artists. And ironically, some of them are great and just far exceed my expectations in terms of personality, character, humor, all of that. Others aren't. But I am less inclined after meeting a lot of artists in, a, in in somewhat intimate settings. I'm less inclined to go meet artists these days. I don't actually want to my my view of the music and it can get skewed after you meet someone, whether, you know, maybe they're a jerk or they're rude or something like that. And then you're trying to like disconnect that from the art, but it's hard to do that. So I've, um, I've actually, um, I'm trying to like remove some of the bias of what does it mean to meet these artists relative to enjoying their music for what it is.
0: It's so true. I'll admit I'm definitely that guy when I see someone who I'm in awe of when I'm out somewhere. I often try to, I don't bother them and say, let's take a selfie, but I try to introduce myself to them. Like I saw Anderson Cooper out once and he's an amazing person in in person and in life. But one of my favorite comedians for the longest time was Chevy Chase. And he actually lives near me. And 20 something years ago, when he moved up in Westchester County, I saw him at like a local arts festival and I'm like, Dr. Rosen Rosen, you know, it's like throwing out all these lines, (laughs) fletch lines. He literally walked past me. And by the way, I'm about five foot five, 140 pounds wet, right? He literally walked past me and he's about six, five. I don't know. He's a huge man and getting bigger as he gets older. And he literally body checked me like on the ground unapologetically and had not a care in the world that I was in awe of him. Not a care. And ever since then, I can't even, when I see him, I just look the other way and I can't even watch another Chevy chase movie. And I'm like, you know, you're not a comedian, you're just a comedic actor, you know, but it's true. You don't, (laughs) you don't want to put yourself in a position where you ruin a certain vision or a certain feeling you have about someone that has entertained you over the years. So I'm totally down with that. I get that now, but that was a hard lesson for me. First world problem, of course, but a hard lesson.
1: Exactly.
0: Sorry, Chevy. I'm sure Chevy's not listening to my podcast or any podcast, so it's totally fine. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no. Maybe now. Yeah. So listen, David, it was awesome having you on the show. I wish we can continue, but I think we're out of time. But it was just really amazing having you. And for our listeners, we can find Reverb, really simple, right? At Reverb.com. You got it. R-E-V-E-R-B.
1: R-E-V-E-R-B.
0: R-E-V-E-R-B.com.
1: R-E-V-E-R-B.com. You got it. We have an app. So look forward to looking up sometime in the future Aaron. appreciate your time today.
0: Definitely. Maybe we'll catch a Cubs Mets game. I know who's going to win. It's not going to be the (laughs) Mets, but we love Wrigley field. All right. Take care, David. Cheers.
1: This has been an episode of brand on purpose with Aaron quicken, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the smooth voice. You never hear producer extraordinaire, Andrew Kamika, the always on point associate producer Lindsay Han, who touches every aspect of this podcast, and Magic Matt Zikowski, a literal magician who works wonders behind the scenes. Learn more about our show at BrandOnPurposePod.com and follow our Instagram at the BOP Podcast. Learn more about our host at AaronQuickin.com. <laughs>